Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were there, Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Alan. And uh, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to see you here in the building and with us online. Particularly wonderful to see so many people here uh, gathered in this building. I'm still, I'm still getting records. This is definitely a record for me in my ministry here, even though I've been here for a year. Never seen so many people here in person, so thank you. Peter McVerry is a Roman Catholic priest lives in Dublin, Ireland, and since 1979 he's been involved in providing housing for the homeless through a trust which he founded and bears his name. I read this week uh, a beautiful story, uh, an account of one man, Joe Shannon, who had been housed by the Peter McVeary uh, Trust in a purpose-built one-bed flat. Joe was 55 years old, And he'd lost his rented bedsit in 2013 because it was deemed an illegal dwelling. He'd been uh, sleeping on friends and family members' couches uh, for some time as well as as in hostels. He said, I couldn't afford anywhere else, so I ended up sleeping all over the place. And in the end, I had to go homeless. But in the article, he went on to say this. He said, when I first came here, talking about his new flat, I couldn't believe it was for me. He looks around at his small apartment in the northern inner city. He says, I thought they must have made a mistake. It took me about three weeks to believe I was staying here. I kept expecting a knock on the door telling me I had to go. Joe Shannon couldn't believe it was for him. I wonder whether you have ever thought 
about God like that. That God's love, his acceptance, his kindness cannot be for me. Not, not the real me, the, the me inside. Not me like I am now. Or perhaps even more like Joe Shannon, you, you, you've started out on the Christian journey, but you regularly feel like an imposter. You wake up and you suddenly find yourself waiting, metaphorically speaking, for, for a knock on the door. You're convinced any moment now some figure of spiritual authority is going to come in and say, look, actually, we've seen what you're really like, and, and it's all over. Well, today we're restarting uh, a sermon series looking at Mark's gospel. Mark's uh, is the shortest of the accounts of Jesus' life. It's, it's punchy. It's direct. It's all about Jesus. It's, I think it's a fantastic place for us uh, to return to at the beginning of a new academic year. A little bit of a spoiler alert. We're probably going to be doing this for many years to come, walking our way through Mark's gospel at the beginning of the year because there's nothing better, I think, for us to do than to focus on the Lord Jesus himself. He, after all, is all we have to offer one another and anyone who might join us. And in today's short passage, Jesus' actions and his words, they speak volumes to this very question I've just addressed. Here is the age-old and yet always deeply counterintuitive story that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Here is the story of a love so deep, there is no end to discovering it. And I'm praying that as we study it together uh, this morning, whatever we, we feel we, we, we knew before today, we're going to go out, go away from today with, with a new sense of the love and the mercy of God in Jesus. So let me briefly recap on, on the story and how, how it plays out. Chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, it tells us Jesus is out beside the lake. A large crowd uh, come to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now it's very early on in Mark's gospel, and here is an unexpected figure on the scene. Levi, the tax collector, he worked for the cruel Herod Antipas, uh, who himself would not have been power had it not been for the Romans. And those standing around Jesus uh, would have known that tax collectors mostly extorted more tax than was required, even from the poor, and lined their pockets with it. And they also knew that meeting with Gentile traders, uh, which was what Levi did for a job, Gentiles who were deemed ritually unclean by the Jews, that was frowned upon in Jewish society. So Levi here is a religious and social disgrace. What's it like? What would it be like today? It's a bit of an absurd parallel, but you're just going to have to sort of humor me for a moment. Imagine by some great misfortune that uh, a ruthless corporation bought and privatized the road that you had lived on for 20 years. I'm sorry, if you already have a private road, that's, I, you're not going to be able to connect with this very soon. Okay, but so they, they bought it out, they privatized it, and then they started making all sorts of new rules about when you could walk on the pavement and, and so forth. And then to add insult to injury, your neighbor, who had lived on this road just as long as you, 20 years, took a job as a traffic warden for this corporation and then your neighbor started fining you for parking on your own drive. And then the local vicar came along and avoiding your gaze, singled out your neighbor for a kindly cup of tea. That's what this is like. 
Levi was an enemy. But Levi is more than just a sort of slightly strange distraction in this, this account about Jesus. The account continues, follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Follow me, says Jesus. Spoken directly and personally to a collaborator. The Messiah takes this tax collector into his intimate circle. In fact, later scholars uh, surmise that Levi probably becomes one of the twelve. Most people think, uh, think that Levi is the same man whom we later know as Matthew, who, who wrote the first of the four Gospels, as you'll know. Certainly, Jesus was inviting this Levi into a deep personal relationship. And that becomes really clear when Jesus accepts that most powerful of ancient Near Eastern friendship gestures, the common meal. Verse 15 goes on. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, it's not surprising that the incident doesn't pass without comment. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now look, I know that we all know they're the baddies, right? But it's actually not an unfair question. These Pharisees, they're upright citizens. They are people who have devoted their lives to doing good things. They study carefully. They preach compelling sermons. They give to the food bank. They were early adopters of electric cars. And they see these tax collectors fleecing ordinary people. And with them, actually, a whole group of sinners, other people who appear to have no commitment to trying to live the good and God-honoring way. And they see Jesus with them. Why? Why does this rabbi choose supper with Well, supply your villain, depending where you are on the political landscape or whatever. The corrupt financier, the migrant trafficker, the domestic abuser, the serial adulterer. What does he think he's doing? I mean, there's a growing crowd of people following Jesus. He's influencing them all. What are they taking up from this? Well, is it all fine? You can just carry on doing like that? None of that stuff matters? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners, they ask? It's actually a really good question. I wonder, what do you think? Imagine yourself back there. Why do you think he's with those people? What would you have taken home from it? Well, fortunately, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He actually explains himself. And that's where I'd like to spend the remaining time. It's there in verse 17. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, standing back from this reply, I think we make some really surprising discoveries. A discovery, first of all, about who Jesus is, and then second, a discovery about whom he calls. See what we learn, first of all, about who Jesus is. It means Jesus is the great healer. In Jesus' words, you've got the righteous and sinners, and that maps onto the healthy and the sick. Now, we're going to come on to thinking exactly about who he had in mind in each category in a moment, but just work out the simple part. Where's the doctor? 
Well, sick people need a doctor to heal them, and sinners similarly need the greater doctor, Jesus. I was born to uh, two GPs, and uh, Freud would have had a field day because the woman I married was not a GP when I married her, but she turned into a GP uh, shortly after we, we tied the knot. I personally could never do it. I, I faint at the touch of the needle. I mean, actually faint, as in lose consciousness, as the poor souls in Stafford Road Pharmacy discovered to their horror when, at my first vaccination, I um, conked out on the linoleum floor. It, it wasn't the most encouraging sign for all the people lining up to get their jabs. <laughs> I digress. Uh, Anyway, in my time connected with GPs, I have learned a thing or two about being a doctor. It is an amazing job. And I remember from my childhood that we never go far in our local town on our shopping runs without bumping into one of Dad's patients. And I always recall just being deeply, deeply loved by these people. And I guess it's pretty obvious, not least because, like most doctors, I guess, his interventions often healed people. They really fixed something that was otherwise intractable, deeply uncomfortable, really inconvenient. Now, just before this in Mark's Gospel, if you can remember back to last September, uh, Jesus had done exactly that kind of thing. He just put a lame man back on his feet. But at the center of that healing act, he declared to the man, your sins are forgiven. So he'd done a kind of physical healing, but... The point was this physical healing was appointed to a deeper spiritual healing of our souls. So the argument is this. Just as our bodies go wrong, and we call that sickness, in the same way our hearts and our minds become morally sick. They become unhealthy. We need to be made whole again. And that spiritual lack of health, that spiritual disease That's sin. And Jesus offers a wholeness that not even death can undo. He offers forgiveness through his death on the cross and eternal life beyond. He can heal our sin sickness and so set set right the most important thing that we have in our lives. And that is our relationship with God. So Jesus is the great healer. I wonder if you know him like that. Do you know him as the great healer? healer. But he's not just the great healer, he's also the great friend. I mean, it is something really quite extraordinary, isn't it? Dare I say, out of this world, when someone offers you unconditional love, even though you have done something really, really badly wrong to them. But that is what Jesus does when he sits down with his friends that day. And he does it because he is all love. Dane Ortland um, has written a lovely little book called Gentle and Lowly. I really recommend it to you. It's a picture, really, of Jesus' heart for us sinners. He puts it like this. Jesus can no more bring himself to stiff-arm you than the loving father of a crying newborn can bring himself to stiff-arm his dear child. Jesus' heart is drawn out to you. Nothing can chain his affections to heaven. His heart is too swollen with endearing love. And of course that love goes not just for people who like Levi may be despised by the world, but people also like Levi who have actually rejected Jesus' very own law. And yet there is Jesus at the table 
with Levi and friends, and also, if we ask him, with us, at table with us. Healer and friend, that's who Jesus is. But second, who does Jesus call? Who does he call? Let's hear that same verse one more time. Chapter 2, verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, it's pretty logical what he says here. But the more you think about it, the more extraordinary you realize it is. Jesus says he calls sinners. The people whom Jesus is after are spiritual and moral failures. Now, I know know this is kind of familiar. We sort of already know this. Let's just really press in on this today because it sometimes gets missed. It's not that Jesus calls sinners, in inverted commas, you know, as in people that society looks down on, but who he actually knows, that, you know, they're no worse than anyone else. Nor, indeed, is it the case that Jesus is with the tax collectors and co, because it turns out God actually isn't that fussed about sin, so he can call sinners, because it doesn't really matter. No, the implication of the doctor metaphor, if he's a healer, is that there is something seriously wrong with the people that he is tending to. And his point is not to downplay or to excuse or to relativize the wrongdoing, but to say he sees it headlong, exactly what they're doing, and yet he says, I'm still calling you. Now, for some people today, they kind of wince at what I've just said, because we don't really like talking about sin. This is a bit of embarrassing. But actually, it is so important to say what I have just said. Because here is the issue. I am actually a sinner. Okay, I, I don't just play at being a sinner, like for you guys, because that's like what, you know, the reality of the Christian faith. But deep down, I'm actually a really good egg. I am a real sinner. And so I need a God who actually will sit with someone who is a real sinner. I need a God who will, do, who will, who will come up to someone and be with someone who will think and, and do shameful things that dishonor God, things that hurt my neighbor, things that are morally offensive, things that are no other person's fault but come only from me. I need a God who can actually stare all of that in the face, all the secret corners of my existence that I don't want to share with anyone else, and still say to me, John, I am going to eat with you tonight. And do you understand that if you don't believe that God is like that, one day, suddenly, you're going to look into your own condition. You're going to discover something terrible about yourself you didn't realize and worry, actually, now I realize God is not for me. He's actually the friend of sinners. And no other God will be enough for us. But that is what we have. That is what we have. That's the glorious good news of the gospel. Dane Ortland, uh, again, the same author, he writes, he says this, when we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus because he will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way sometimes many of our parents did. And all of this restraint on his part is not because he has a diluted view of our sinfulness. 
He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity, even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge. And yet, and yet, we know he is looking. His heart is on the search for just someone like us. Jesus calls sinners. Now, the implications of this are pretty huge, and we could go on for some time, but let me be brief. One of them, and apologies to anyone who's in church for the first time, might have got the wrong idea. That means, by the way, that this church is full of sinners. You have come to a gathering of people who answered to the call, come, you sinners. And that has implications for our life together. So we can expect our life together to reflect that. Honest church life is going to involve a lot of eating humble pie and saying sorry. That's what it's like. There is no place for pride here. But even more importantly, consider that if you feel like a sinner, if you feel like you don't make the grade, you know, even if every time you come to church you think, oh, this is not me, if you're worried you're a spiritual imposter, if you're worried about that day that one day you might be found out, you need to know you are exactly what Jesus is after. You, the same you, not the you that you've been promising yourself you will be possibly tomorrow or at least next month or at least sometime next year, but the you right now. That is who the Lord is after. You there counting your takings at the tax booth. To you, he says, follow me. Jesus calls sinners. But just before we finish, I don't want to miss the flip side of Jesus' comments. Because if you study carefully what he says, it turns out he's come to call sinners only. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. So imagine the classic religious email. In the to field, it says, the righteous. In the body, it says, you're in. Now, what has Jesus done? He, he hasn't just added next to the righteous, the sinners, so there's now two entries in the to field. He's actually deleted the righteous, and he's put sinners only. What does he mean? Is he not interested in people doing the right thing? Well, I think the the doctor picture is really helpful for us here. Who are the people who make it onto my wife's list as a GP? And lucky they are to be there. Well, to say it's the sick isn't quite the full picture. In fact, the people who go and see Emily week by week, strictly speaking, are only those who believe they are sick. There are people out there who are unwell, but they don't think that they are, and so they don't go to the doctor. And in the same way, there is one thing that disqualifies us from Jesus' call. If we basically believe that we're good people, not necessarily the best people in the world, but if we basically believe that we're good people, or at least not as bad as that lot over there, we will not answer to Jesus' call, because we don't need his help. Now, of course, that means that, strictly speaking, the righteous, as Jesus uses it here, is what we call an empty category. There's actually no one who truly fits in that, because all of us have sinned. And yet it's possible for us to believe that 
actually, we have enough. We're okay. We don't need that kind of help. And to us and all of us at some point have felt like this. Of course, the the words that Jesus speaks are a great challenge because he's saying, you cannot come to me with that attitude. You must first believe that you need me and you need my forgiveness before you will come to me. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So then, stepping back, we've seen Jesus, the great healer. Jesus, the great friend whom we celebrate. Jesus, the one who calls all sinners, and yet also the one who calls only sinners. May we be found to be those who call on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. We pray that we would take home all the amazing grace that you have spoken to us today. That we would go in the great comfort of your unending love and mercy and compassion. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.